0: For 25 years, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard, so is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois.
1: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble.
0: Welcome back to another episode of the Roto Football Podcast, it's the most important podcast in the universe. Thanks for being here. Thanks for joining me. Hopefully you've enjoyed all these episodes in March. we have got a whole bunch of them. Today I'll have PFF Mike on Twitter, Mike Renner. It's a fun conversation. Uh, we hit on, and maybe this isn't the right way to say it, but it's how I said it on the podcast prospects that Mike is unreasonably high on. Players like Andy Isabella, Jerry Tillery, and there are a few possible late round gems that we talk about as well. So definitely stick around for that. Uh, if you missed my appearance on Chris Sims Unbuttoned podcast, uh, it's in the previous episode right before this. So go and listen to that one. Also shortly, I'll be recording with Evan Silva, about a few more wide receiver prospects. And next week, who knows? Maybe even an interview with a top five prospect in this class. Someone that might be a top five draft pick come late April should be a fun one. As always, if you're new to this podcast and you enjoy it for any moment, hit that subscribe button. Also, leave a rating and review. It takes about 5, 10, 15 seconds to do, and it really does help us out. Expand the audience. You guys have been great, and girls, have been great lately with showing support. And again, you are the voice that propels us to do more at NBC Sports at Roto-World. So if you want us to do more, let people know, okay? So I started this conversation with Mike, just trying to get the background on what PFF College is and how it has kind of progressed in the last few years that it's been in existence.
2: It started the 2014 college season, and somewhat crazily, it started about like it got confirmed that we were going to do it about two weeks before the first college game. So like because Chris Collinsworth bought the company that off season before the 2014 season and it all kind of just came together right at that time where it got funded to where we'd have enough money to pay people to do all the, you know, 860 or whatever college <laughs> games it was. So 2014, right <laughs> before the year. I get on a call with Neil and a bunch of other people, and he's like, "We're doing college,"
0: and so that was yeah. That. And did you immediately? I can't even remember back that far. I mean, that feels like it was fifteen years ago. Did you immediately start putting out grades that year? Is that correct? So yeah, we did so because that was like the Grady Jarrett year, wasn't it?
2: Yes, yeah. So that was Grady Jarrett, Henry Anderson, uh, Trey oh, Flowers. I, my guys those too. Are like, yeah, those were yeah. like our uh, big W, like the guys that we were championing that year that we had first rounders on, but we didn't actually give the grades out that year we didn't give a draft guide we didn't release any of that to the public Uh, a big part of the reason why was because one we had no real clue what it meant and two it ended up finishing we ended up finishing all the data in like april like we only had like three or four weeks to even put it together (laughs) at that point Uh, we were way behind in collecting it. we just didn't realize 800 you know some games was going to take a long time
0: yeah who knew who knew there's a lot of college football (laughs) games every week um that's kind of what i wanted to hit on though Because it's been about five years since then. And what have you either personally or with the company, what have y'all learned doing this style of evaluation for college prospects that now you at least have some base level of years for their NFL uh, production and success as well? I think we've seen which metrics and what
2: numbers to look at more so than others. And a lot of that's been... Helped with us by our uh, analytics team getting stronger over that panel. At the beginning, we had all this data, but not, we only had an analytics team that really consisted of pretty much one guy back then. Now we have a handful of guys projecting what, you know, numbers in college then project to the NFL. So they've directed us on that end, but basically where, you know, grades necessarily translate and then also what to look for. I think. Back in the early days, I looked at linebackers and really cared about their run defense and what they could do in that perspective. And now I basically will watch a handful of run plays uh, on guys and then just look at the pass game because I think we've come as to as a company learning that that's the most that's the driver of defense, driver of offense is what you can bring to the table in the pass game. And so from that perspective, that's changed all of our evaluations. But I do think the positions that we've seen come to the strongest that i think we hold uh the grades hold up the best o-line d-line pretty much guys that are on the lower end of the spectrum in terms of production grades on those just never seem to be uh, just rarely if ever have hit uh at the next level
0: just from watching all the well not all of them because there are a lot but some of the videos on pff's youtube page one one comment stood out And I believe it was Steve and Sam, who, by the way, will make an appearance later on this episode. Not how you think, but I'll get to them in a second. I I believe Sam was talking about some of his undervalued players under the radar, and he brought up a guy, Raheem Bingham, out of Arkansas State, who's in this 2019 class. And I thought it was interesting because it was pretty obvious that Steve was bringing up Bingham's grades and and success and all the information you all have on them. And he was citing how great his pass rush numbers were, but in his head and he was verbalizing that, okay, what if those were just on spin moves? What, how was he winning in those situations? So like from the outside in Mike, it's, it's been pretty interesting to see not the growth necessarily, but, but the change in, Hey, these are our grades. This is what they show to, okay, this is our grades. How did they do them and how they produce those grades can win in the NFL as well. Does that make sense?
2: Yes. That's a very good. And that's a very good, probably something i should have brought up when you asked me the question in the first place to be honest because that is one big thing we've learned uh as you probably know you probably saw our grades back in 2014 or our draft rankings they basically mirrored uh our grades and so we had some terrible players that we ended up throwing in the first round because they graded out well for us even though uh it was you know cornerbacks who had you know terrible sort of you know athleticism metrics but were incredible coming up and making plays on ball carriers. incredibly physical down the field. Cause they can get away with that in college, that sort of thing, things that just don't translate to the NFL. And so we've started to look deeper into how grades are constructed. Are you have this big grade as a wide receiver? Cause you get, you know, 150 targets and they're all on screen passes. And you have a lot of, you know, ability to make a positive grade for yourself yeah. on a screen pass. Cause you you know basically got the ball and you can do something with it. Uh, Or are you going down the field making big plays? Uh, Because I think the latter is far more valuable than the former there.
0: Let's get into a few of those players. Um, You mentioned back in 2014, you might have been unreasonably high on a few prospects. I think we all have our biases when it comes to evaluations. And so just from afar, uh, these are the players, and I don't want to use this term with a negative connotation, but unreasonably high on possibly. And the first one is Andy Isabella. At a few mass. Uh, Mike, I saw another video on PFF. It's not like I'm stalking y'all. It's just, you know, pops up in my feed. That's what happens. Uh, that's what YouTube is for. And I believe you called Andy Isabella a first round talent. I did, in fact, do that. Tell me why he's a first round talent.
2: I think if you thought Brandon cooks was a first round talent, Brandon cooks who obviously went like 21st overall, I want to say, uh, and I think it's proven to be far worthy of a first rounder. I don't see why you wouldn't think Andy Isabella is a first round talent from a testing metric, you know, for per- testing perspective, almost, you know, nearly identical in terms of speed change of direction from an on-field perspective, almost identical in terms of production production. And from a size perspective, I think Isabella is actually a tad uh, larger, even at 188 pounds coming out. So, for that, there's a lot that Andy Isabella can do on the football field as a deep threat in the NFL that I think will translate uh, even against NFL corners. Now, press coverage is an issue, but press coverage is still an issue for Brandon Cooks. He doesn't always get off. I mean, we saw the game mm-hmm. against the Packers. Jair Alexander ate his lunch for a good portion of that game this past season. But if you're in an offense that can be creative with them, move him around, I think he's still an offensive weapon and is an elite downfield sort of threat that... 431 speed, I think is going to translate.
0: And in its simplest form, I mean, and not just the stereotypes, but a lot of how he plays the game. A lot of people think Andy Isabella is a slot receiver. You obviously view him as an outside receiver. Yes, I think he's a chess piece.
2: I'm not going to put him as my ex and line him up there without, you know, every single snap without moving him around. I think the way the Chiefs deploy Tyreek Hill is your ideal scenario in that he's almost hmm. 50-50 slot and outside, but it's not saying he can't play outside whatsoever. I think he has a skill set to do both. So I, uh, I I do think and you saw at the senior bowl, they only lined him up in the side. I do think he gets stereotyped because of
0: correct skin color and size. Do you think the NFL will agree with you? Or do you think that, you know, this is how decision makers think and that's a dangerous place to go into the brains of those guys um, that that they just automatically think and will most likely evaluate him as a slot guy.
2: Yes, I I think the NFL is gonna pigeonhole him, unfortunately. And I still think he can be very successful out of the slot. I hope he goes to a team that genuinely uses utilizes slot receivers because I think he'll be he can be productive in that role. But I do think his best role is still as a downfield, as a you know a guy who can win both on the inside and outside running down the field. I think if you're just limiting him to the slot route tree, I think you're doing it wrong.
0: Yeah, I mean Brandon Cooks is an interesting example. Tyler Lockett's a possibility as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Andy Isabella is a top fifty talent. He's in my top fifty. I think this wide receiver class is. Is really interesting. I'm not sure if you know, there's going to be a consensus number one, even though a lot of people put DK Metcalf up there. But there's going to be, you know, a handful that really, really hit home. And and I think Isabella has has the 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 game that really can succeed almost anywhere he goes. Obviously, there'll be a higher ceiling in certain scenarios with a better quarterback and better situation. But I think he does, like you mentioned, have talent that can win inside and talent that can win outside if given the opportunity.
2: I was just going to say, in a, in a class where there's a lot of bigger receivers and a lot of even the faster receivers have pretty quite a pretty, uh, big question marks guys like uh, Paris Campbell guys like Emmanuel Hall big question marks in terms of Campbell just he was a pure slot at Ohio State can he win yeah, down can the we field? talk about <laughs> him? yeah for sure
0: even I think Adam Schefter today tweeted that Paris Campbell is looking like a first-round prospect and that blows my mind
2: Yeah, I can't see how you could project him in the first round or just have him over Isabel right now in terms of translating to the NFL as an outside receiver just because he has not done it at any point in time. Even his slot, even his deep routes, you know, downfield routes were from the slot and not against man coverage. It was basically just him running free off the line of scrimmage and then on either like a slot wheel or just a slot go where he's just unabated gets to run down the field. That's just not how it's going to work in the NFL. So how that translates. You don't you just have yeah. no clue at this point.
0: Do you guys, and I'm not asking you to pull it up now. Do you chart the percentage of specific routes run by a receiver?
2: Not at the college, college level. We'll do that okay. at the pros. But okay.
0: the, well, the reason I the reason I ask that is because I swear Paris Campbell, 85 percent of his routes are drag routes. <laughs> and his I, I mean, I'm I'm not joking. And I believe his his average depth of target was four and a half yards yes. this year. Yes, and it was incredibly low. And compare that to like Hakeem Butler, which is 15 or, or AJ Brown, which is 10 point something like really when you watch Paris Campbell, his game is entirely from the slot, run a drag. If it's zone coverage, I'm sitting between these linebackers. If it's man coverage, I'm out running this guy, catching the ball and running to the sideline and beyond it. That's fine. And like yards after catch and he's super athletic, but I don't know how you can project anything beyond that. And that really, really scares me in this wide receiver group.
2: Yes, it just is a wide receiver group where there's a lot of projections on guys where if you see a guy who's done it already, like Andy Isabella had over almost a thousand yards from the outside this past season. If you see a guy who's done it already, I, I trust that over what this guy might become.
0: How much and we didn't I didn't prepare you for this. I didn't tell you we were going to talk about this, but how much does it scare you when a wide receiver is locked in to one side of the formation like DK Metcalf and isn't used throughout the formation and from different alignments?
2: I'm not sure that scares me a lot because I don't think it's, I think that's more of a coaching flaw at the college level. If you're doing that, I don't think it's anything. I'm not going to put that on the receiver. Uh, but once when he does test like DK Metcalf did, it's a little, it's a little worrisome, but that, uh, you know, as a whole, I don't think it really bothers me too much if a guy's just the left or just the
0: right. Let's move on to a prospect. Uh, you and I both love, and there's plenty of reason to, uh, Jerry Tillery, the inside defensive lineman out of Notre Dame. Mike, I'll let you take it away.
2: Yeah, I just think there is a sort of blueprint for success for players like Tillery that we've seen at the NFL level, whether it's Calais Campbell, whether it's uh, Chris Jones, DeForest Buckner, guys with prodigious height, you know, six-six plus guys, guys with length, 34 plus inch arms, all of them, guys with, you know, good to even elite athleticism, I'd put, you know, you saw Jerry Taylor's combine was borderline elite athleticism at a guy mm-hmm. yeah, for a defensive tackle position. And then who's already, you know, excelled as a pass rusher in college, Who was has already showed a handful of pass rushing moves. And I mean, he has probably outside of Quinn and Williams, the most pass rushing moves of any DT I've seen in this class. He deploys a handful of different, uh, moves already. Obviously he's a senior and, you know, some of these guys coming out are junior. So that's a different conversation, but to me, that's an easy projection for him fr- from what he's done in college. And like I said, the all those traits to the pros that there's a blueprint for that that's been done before him. All those guys before him, very good. I just see Tillery as the next in line in that sort of uh, lineage.
0: And what really stands out to me is that even when it seems like his responsibility is to like you'll see him line up at three tech and then. Uh, be asked to like crash down on the tackle and occupy the tackle, so the defensive end can loop back inside. Uh, many times, he's still the one who's making the play. Yeah. <laughs> like he will, he will crash down on that tackle, get to quarterback depth, use that flexibility and bend to work back inside, like uncommon movement skills, and then make the sack. Like it's absolutely incredible. Yeah, stuff
2: I my ideal fit for him, where I think he would be best, is actually with the Chargers. If he falls that late into the first round, because of how often they use stunts. With Ingram Bosa, he is a weapon. On like he would be a weapon in a team that runs a bunch of stunts because of how good he is. Like in doing what you just mentioned,
0: I would be surprised if he makes it past the Colts at number twenty-six, just because of how much it seems like Chris Ballard uh, really values athleticism along the defensive front. Yeah, I and, mean that would be and a good. Really, fit a too. need at the position too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how how close do you think he is to some of these other interior defensive linemen? That, you know, are more commonly talked about, right? Like, I mean, we know that your Quinnen Williams and Ed Oliver are at the top, but certainly Christian Wilkins gets a ton more run and even Dexter Lawrence, even though they're drastically different players than a Jerry Tillery. And I, to me personally, Mike, I have Tillery above Christian Wilkins, but I, I totally understand the opposite.
2: I have... Tillery actually above Ed Oliver as well. I have him second DT behind Quinn Ooh. Williams. Oh, Mike. So I'm pretty, I'm about as high on him as you can get just because of that. Like he athletically, you know, Ed Oliver's obviously from another planet athletically, but Ed Oliver's also has very short arms and is just not near uh, what Tillery did as a pass rusher last season. So he has a way to go in that regard. Now, I think you'll get there. I think I'm high on Oliver as well, but I just think Tillery, like I said, he has a very I just think he will be a successful pro. Maybe not. Maybe he doesn't have the, the you know, ceiling of someone like Ed Oliver, but I just think that that he will be a pass rushing threat at the next level. I feel very confident in that. And so from that standpoint, I'm willing to take him top 10, top five, If you're the Buccaneers at five. I think that would be a fit for them as well. Obviously he's wow. not going to go there, it. but that's about, as, that's about as high as I, I'd be willing to take a talent like Tillery. I,
0: I mean, I absolutely love it. And he really, really deserves more run uh, as we had, uh, into the later part of April. Um, we we've always talked about, and you talk about this a lot, how difficult it is to find edge rushers on the third day, Eastern Michigan's Max Crosby might be one of those players.
2: I think he is a poor man's Brian Burns. And I mean, from a testing perspective, they're very, very similar in age. He's also under 22. He's 21 uh, years old still six, five, uh, 255, So almost similar, very similar build to Brian Burns had a six, eight, nine, three cone. Uh, I mean, incredibly productive at Eastern Michigan and also productive in the games against power five teams that he played. It wasn't just purely beating up, you know, these slap tackles. Uh, he went up against Purdue and owned uh, the right tackle from Purdue in that game. Uh, I, I think he's Obviously, not uh, he on tape, he looks so he weighed in 255 at the combine. On tape, he looks like he's playing about like 235. He just does look very slightly built. I'm not sure he's going to play the run at a high level, but he uses his hands incredibly well. And that athleticism I mean, it shows up on tape. He has pretty ridiculous bend. The 6893 cone is no joke at that size. I, I think there's a yeah. lot to work with there from a coordination and athleticism standpoint. It might take a couple of years for him to put it all together, for him to get his body, you know, get a little stronger and play at the NFL level. But I think there's a lot to work with there. Like I said, he's a very, he's a poor man's version of Brian Burns. But if you're getting that in the fourth round, I think you're
0: third, fourth round. I think you're taking that. So we basically want him to wind up with the Minnesota Vikings. So we know they can develop some athletic edge rushers. Um, It's interesting. Like he, he gets like skinny um, on the edge and that, you know, that's difficult to find, and it's those movement skills that you talk about. Yeah, I don't think all the time he knows exactly what he's doing. I think he was probably like super athletic in everything that he did growing up. Um, and and yeah, he, he's a super interesting player. You, so I, what I did for this podcast, just to peel back the curtain here, is I just DM'd Mike Renner and asked like some players that you know you not love to talk about necessarily, but that you really believe in that maybe some others don't quite as much. And a name you threw out at me was Arkansas offensive lineman. I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly, but I looked in and hopefully this is the correct way from the SID. Uh, Yelda Froholt from Denmark as a sophomore in high school started playing football. I watched him, Mike. I like what I saw. He looks super natural as an offensive lineman. I guess you saw the same thing.
2: Yes, I actually can't believe he's not getting more hype. I mean, he's a little on the older side, almost twenty three, but I mean, a handful of other guys. It's not too uncommon along the offensive yeah. line. But from a movement skills perspective, I mean, he checks the combine boxes in the three cones, seven five one, the short shuttle, four five four. Those are both fantastic numbers. And on tape, I w- I'd recommend to anyone who's you know interested in you know, scouting Froholtz, which I'll leave the first name pronunciation to you, Yelda or whatever. <laughs> I. I I was get, I was trying my best guess at it before, but yeah, I'll, I'll have to practice that one for when it actually come draft day. But his game against Alabama was fantastic. He probably held up better against Quinn and Williams than any offensive lineman I saw all season long because he had the mirror ability to stay in front of them. Has the patient hands, limited length, only like thirty one inch arms or something, which is really short for an offensive lineman for a guy who's six five also, but. I think he can get the job done. I think he has the, and technically, I mean, you wouldn't expect it to for him to be a guy who came from overseas and just played a couple of years of high school ball, uh, to be as technically sound as he is. And he played center guard could play both at the NFL level. Uh, I'm a big yeah. fan of his. I, there's a lot to like on his tape.
0: And for, you know, NFL teams that can only dress what seven offensive linemen, like at the very least a utility into offensive lineman might be in his future. Um, yeah. Especially because he has that center guard combo down.
2: Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure he's ever going to be. He has strength issues, play strength issues, not going to be a great run blocker. But from a pass blocking perspective, he allowed only five pressures in the SEC, or, yeah. you know, all last season, playing SEC competition, playing, you know, a murderous row of interior talent there. Uh, there's a, like I guess there's a lot to like about him. I'm a lot higher on him than probably basically anyone I've seen. I haven't heard anyone even talk about him like a day two prospect. I think he's, that's what he is.
0: You all can find PFF's draft guide version 1.0. I believe 2.0 is coming out next week. Uh, just You have to subscribe to PFF and it's right there. Plenty of really cool information that is not available anywhere else. Um, how many prospects are in it? Is it like four, 300, 400, something like that? <sighs> I god I should
2: know I should know in the, the hundreds. exact number it's in the hundreds. yeah but
0: it's like it's like
2: <laughs> 400 or something you get data on uh get the, okay. yeah okay. all the the grades the uh, uh, you know the in-depth data for each position that sort of stuff
0: It's really cool it's 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 like super meaningful stuff that you know it, when it backs up what your eyes tell you I think that's good
2: Yeah. And like, even like snap counts, I feel like are something that you just don't find many other places. Like we do have snap counts on guys. How many did they, how many snaps did they actually play? I think that has value too.
0: And, and simple stuff. And we talked about Hakeem Butler versus Paris Campbell, but like, I mean, without seeing the draft guide, I wouldn't have known that Hakeem Butler actually led this draft class in uh, completions of 20 plus yards down the field, you know, yeah, and, and compare that to, you know, being discussed with someone that's much like a Marquise Brown, for example. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, we've covered the football stuff. I want to have a little fun with you, Mike. Let's do it. Um, we know, we know you, we also know PFF Steve and we know PFF Sam. Okay? okay. I have a few scenarios I'm throwing at you that you have to decide between the two. Okay. Are you down for this game? I'm down. Okay. So you must pick one of Sam or one of Steve. Okay. So who would you rather Go on an all-day hike with Sam or Steve? Probably
2: Sam Steve just uh, I don't think he's worked out too much lately. Uh, that all day hike might be a lot of complaining, so I'll go with Sam.
0: Are you telling me that Sam doesn't complain?
2: Uh, I'm just saying Sam would be able to hold up on the hike and that wouldn't be that wouldn't be an issue. Steve's legs would long ass legs like that might get a little dragging by the ends It'd be a lot of complaining.
0: Well, this might uh, answer a few of these questions. Then, um, if you were a captain of a flag football team, who would you, who would you rather have on your team? I mean, and again, I need to know. Like, Steve was a professional athlete.
2: <laughs> but but this one, I think I'd go Steve because I think Steve the the red zone threat. I mean, scoring the end zone, uh, getting down the goal line. Where do you gotta, you got to throw the fade to Steve? I mean, I think that's a money play. At six nine, okay. he's going to be, be able to go up and get it. I'm not sure Sam's going to offer much down by the, down near the goal line.
0: And so you're basically calling Steve Palazzolo, JJ Arcega-Whiteside.
2: Yeah, a bigger, even bigger, JJ a six eight Arcega-Whiteside. It's about
0: right. Got it. Um, okay. Say, and this would never happen to you, Mike, but this is just, you know, a theoretical situation. Say that you were leaving a bar with either one, okay? Mm-hmm. And for some reason, someone rushes out of the bar and blindsides you in the face, punches you in the face. Who would you rather have to back you up? I got to go,
2: Steve. I mean, he is enormous. He's uh, 6'9", 290, something like that with reach. I, I think he's got something like 36-inch arms. Like, he's he's got the... He's got the length. I think a punch from Steve would do some damage.
0: Do you think he has that mentality, though? Like, does he have a defensive, like, back my friend up mentality? Because I could see Sam. Okay, I could see Sam being, like, scrappy in this Sam's Sam's definitely scrappy. I think he would
2: mix it up himself. But I think Steve, you know, the professional athlete in him, he was a relief pitcher. you got to have some sort of badass attitude to do that.
0: Well, I haven't seen it yet. Uh, Okay, and then we'll close on this one. Uh, If they were Ninja Turtles... Which would Sam be, and which would Steve be? Oh gosh,
2: I watched the Ninja Turtles. I I can't remember. You don't remember personalities. I remember wow. the names. So it was, was it Donatello, Leonardo, Angelo, Leonardo, and Raphael?
0: Do you remember okay. like their personality traits for each <sighs> one? Or no? That's the thing. I don't okay. remember. The well, personality I'll, I'll tell you, traits, you which so one's a... which. Okay. Sam Sam is most likely Raphael, kind of the snarky. Um, you know, always needs to yeah, have Sandy the last word it's going to be Sam. Yes. Yep. And then I would put Steve as probably Donatello kind of like the wise one that, you know, thinks through what his, the actions are of the group. Does that make sense? Steve, Steve and
2: overthinking go hand in hand. There we go.
0: That is. Yeah. There we go. Mike Renner. Thanks so much, buddy. Are you, is there anything you need to plug? Like I know all the videos, obviously on PFF, is there a podcast you, you want to plug something like that?
2: Yeah, the PFF YouTube channel, uh, a bunch of draft profiles are going up on that. So much draft we're putting out a ton of draft content there, obviously the doing the podcast as well, but I think we're focusing more on the YouTube channel in terms of putting out player profiles, that sort of thing. Uh, and then uh, make sure you go get the draft guide. I think there's I
0: think it's well worth uh, yep. the money. For sure. You can print it out, you know kill a few trees along the way. Uh, or just have the PDF. It's 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 really cool information. Again, it's information you won't find uh, anywhere else. Uh, Mike, thanks so much, buddy. Really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, for sure, Josh. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well.